Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, September 9th, 2022, and this is, in fact, another brand new episode. It feels like it's been a while since we aired a new episode. Uh, My name is Mike Wynn. I'm one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this normally weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Matt Hill of the Cops Bureau, sound engineer extraordinaire. Good morning, Chief. Good morning. I've also got a couple special guests joining us this morning, but before I welcome back and introduce our guests, let's get a check of the weather, and then we'll talk about a couple newsworthy items, and then we'll start the show. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, September 9th. Greetings. Today, mostly sunny, a high of 80 with some fog. Tonight, clear with a low of 53. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high of 82. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone. All right. Again, thank you for tuning in this morning as we're back in studio with another another live episode. Um, What do I want to talk about that's newsworthy? It's been an interesting news week. I think we should probably lead off with the... uh, the worldwide story, which is the death of Queen Elizabeth, uh, the end of um, her reign. I am not by any means a, a royal watcher. Kind of, it, it actually is a pet peeve of mine. And like, well, you know, we're Americans. What do we care about the British monarchy? But that woman is epic, legendary, right? Seventy-year reign, um, service during World War II. Just so much impact on the entire globe. So we have to take a moment. Rest in peace, Your Majesty. Um, in other local news, um, you know what? I'm just we'll, we'll just say this: we had an election this week. Not going to say anything about the election. Uh, sheriff Bowler will continue to be the sheriff, and we'll have a new DA, and we're moving on. That's uh, that's about enough of that. In crime-related news, um, the body of um, I'm sorry, I messed this up. Megan Marone was recovered in Lee. She's been missing uh, for several months. It's still under investigation. The Office of the Chief Medical Examiner has accepted the case and obviously has not completed their examination yet. No further information available at this time. More information forthcoming. And the only other thing I'll say is uh, on Wednesday night, uh, I and a couple of our personnel were pleased to participate in the Office of the Mayor's Citizen Academy where citizens have the opportunity to learn about various city departments. Uh, We hosted the Citizens Academy at our headquarters on Wednesday night. It was a good group, an interesting conversation. They got to take a station tour and hear from traffic in the drug unit, community engagement. Uh, But one of the things that came out during that is we're looking forward to bringing back the department's community police academy, which we haven't been able to do uh, since the year before the pandemic. So we're trying to figure out how and when we can bring that back. And we now have an online learning management platform. So we'll be able to do it both in real time and asynchronously. So people will be able to participate virtually on their own schedule. So stand by for more on that. And I think that's about enough news articles Lieutenant, how long has it been since we broadcast a new episode? Three weeks. It's got to be three weeks to a month, right? Um, We're going to welcome our guest, and then we can all kind of catch up a little bit. Because I went to roll call last night, uh, or shift change, 4 o'clock. And the reason I went is I felt like I hadn't seen the people from Squad B in a month. And I know that's not true. I've been at work in the last month, but there's just been so much movement and so many different things going on. So joining us in studio this morning is Officer Jess Godfroy. Hi, Jess. Good morning, Chief. Jess is a permanently assigned school resource officer. She's a member of our Youth Services Bureau. She's also our Explorer Post Advisor. She's got a lot of um, a lot of collateral duties, a lot, of, a lot of moving parts going on, a lot of balls in the air. She's also a participant in the department's pilot law enforcement jujitsu program. Uh, 
as is Lieutenant Hill. All three of us are in studio this morning, which means we are missing the first of the Friday morning classes in the Expanded Ledge program. I didn't say this before we got on the air. I actually was texting with Professor Connie last night after class, and she's like, Jess will be here in the morning, right? I'm like, no, unfortunately, Jess will be with me and Matt. <laughs> um, so we can't, we can't all three be in studio at the same time again on a Friday morning. Um, Sensei Connie, Professor Connie will, will not be pleased. So we gotta figure out how we can attend some of those classes. Uh, and also, lurking around somewhere underneath our feet is uh, K-9 Officer Winston, Comfort Dog Winston. Uh, he had a uniform modification this week. Um, somebody sent Officer Derby a package that contained the official Therapy Dog uh, logo. His, his training tab came off and his Therapy Dog tag went on. So he's uh, through all of his required training and... Now he's, you know, on the job, which normally consists of lying down, taking a nap, and begging for treats, uh, which he's proficient at. So, Winston, pay attention. All right, Jess, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Of course. So, to be here. school is in session. It is. We are in full swing. You're back at your normal job. Yes. Which I don't, it, it's your normal assignment. And there's nothing normal about your job. Absolutely not. So, <laughs> um, and it, so we, we haven't, I haven't been here in over three weeks and I, I've been disconnected for part of that. So three weeks ago, I was out of the office for part of the week on a training trip. And so missed, missed uh, a couple of things when we were getting ready to transition back to school. Two weeks ago, I was on scheduled time off. I was in Maine at a week-long jiu-jitsu camp, which I was really looking forward to because I get to go focus on something I love and be disconnected. And then last week, not, you know, not the week that's just ending, but the prior week, when I got back from camp, I tested positive for COVID. For the f two and a half years, working straight through the pandemic, going over to emergency management, all that stuff, never caught it. I go to camp in Maine, I get sick. So then I had to spend the week in isolation or 10 days in isolation. Um, so I feel like I'm just getting back to the grind and it's a huge period of transition because our operations really shift a lot when we go from summer community-based stuff and then kids go back to school, teachers go back to school, school is in session. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a different way of looking at the city and you're kind of enmeshed in all that because you're covering all the secondary schools now, um, for now. We've got a plan in progress, I promise you. Appreciate so, it. <laughs> so um, let's just start with the school resource officer program. Kind of, we've, we've talked about your role in the school resource officer program in previous episodes, and we can touch on that again and kind of how you got into the schools. But let's talk about the evolution of the school resource officer program over the last several years, because I sent you a document yesterday. There's, there's still stuff. It feels like your job, in comparison with other police jobs, changes so frequently. It's, it's changed like five times in the last seven years. Absolutely, yes. Um, so, you know, when I first started this job, I was assigned to one school. Um, and my favorite part of the job was building the relationships um, with kids. And I think that most people don't understand my role in the school. Um, I'm not there to arrest kids. I'm not there to you know, enforce school rules. Um, I don't, my goal is never to get uh, kids in trouble. My goal is to build relationships with them, help them make good decisions, find out what's going on in their lives and how can we fix it before um, it becomes a problem within the schools. So being in four schools now, that's my job has been increasingly difficult because how do you make a connection with thousands of kids versus, you know, 750 kids when you're just in, in one school, but we're, we're making it work. Um, the role has, has definitely changed. There's definitely more um, hoops that we have to, to jump through. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate change. Um, we just all kind of get, get on the same page here and, and figure out how this is all gonna work. So I want to touch on something you said, and then we'll pivot back to how you, where you just concluded about the changes. So one of the things you said is that people don't understand your role. They don't understand your job in the school. And you highlighted two elements that 
are frequent misconceptions about school resource officers. That is that school resource officers are only in the school to enforce the law and they're there to get kids in trouble and arrest kids, which has never been the case with our school resource officer program. And it is rarely the case in any formally established school resource officer program. As a matter of fact, statistically, students are more likely to get in trouble and be charged criminally when there is not a school resource officer assigned to the school and a patrol officer simply has to roll in to deal with something that's going on. That's correct. So people who oppose having officers permanently assigned to school because they want to tackle the school-to-prison pipeline, they're actually making it worse. They're increasing the likelihood that kids are going to be criminally charged because there is no relationship and there's no special training. So you come, a crime is being committed, you do what we do, you lock them up. SROs don't work that way. They use mediation and conflict resolution and a bunch of other things. So that's misconception number one is that it's all about law enforcement and criminal charges. Misconception number two is you're part of the administration's disciplinary team, right? School resource officers should not be involved in school-based discipline. If it's misconduct, it's misconduct. That should be handled by the administration. School resource officers are there regarding safety and crime. It's, I, I frequently say at community meetings that school resource officers are patrol officers whose beat is the school and the access and egress to and from the school. Right? When your student body is going to school and leaving school and all the time they're in school, that's your beat. But the third one that you and I have talked about a lot, and it keeps coming up time and time again, particularly since we've decreased the number of school resource officers to deal with some of our staffing, school resource officers are not physical armed security. You're not sitting at a fixed post waiting for, God forbid, some intruder to come crashing through the door. Um, and particularly in our community, there is this belief, a persistent belief that we cannot seem to overcome The school resource officers are armed guards. Also not the case, right? You've done a really good job of describing what your role is. But I think it's important for our viewers and listeners to understand what the role is not. Because if in response to some tragedy somewhere else in the country, your demand is that we staff your child's school with a school resource officer because you think they're going to be sitting at the front door waiting for the boogeyman to show up, that's not happening. That We've never done that. And unless we have a dramatic change in the model of our school safety plans and the district decides they want to hire a security force, we're never going to do that. It's not in our mission. Um, so... Thanks for letting me rant for a minute. But it's, uh, it's frustrating, particularly when I go to a community meeting or something and people are standing up saying, I want this in my school because this is what, that's not the job, right? Go to our website, check it out. Go to the National Association of School Resource Officers website and do some reading on what SROs are. They are none of the three things that Jess and I have just discussed. Right. To that point, if you don't mind me oh, to inter interject, um, although we are not at the doors, um, you know, and there's so many doors and we can't provide that function. What we can provide is the relationship with the kids in an open flow of communication so that when there is an issue, a mental health issue, um, concerns that kids feel comfortable coming to their school resource officer um, and letting them know that there's an, an issue and a concern. And that's probably what I've been um, doing the most is taking reports of um, potential threats to the security of the school, interviewing the kids, going to the houses, speaking to the families. Um, so that is a huge part of um, stopping school violence Absolutely. and intruders um, with that open flow of communication. Because it, if kids don't feel like they have somebody they can trust and go to that's going to act on you know, what they're telling them, then that communication never gets out there. Any time one of these tragedies occurs anywhere in the country, and in the world really, in the aftermath, in the initial investigation, it's going to come to light. It always does. Somebody in the school body or in the student's family knew something. They had said something, they had indicated something, and that witness didn't say anything. And so then the, tra you know, the, the act is perpetrated. And without getting into any details, um, because what you're describing, those interviews you're doing, that's not happening necessarily in real time as, as the crisis is emerging. It's ahead of time. It's preventative. Mm -hmm. And not just locally, because we've got many, many documented cases locally, but nationally, that's where school violence is prevented. It's when a school resource officer or another trusted adult hears something not 
when the incident is being initiated, but when it's being planned. And I don't care. You know, my background is not in, in school resource stuff. It's in Homeland Security and counterterror and, and special operations. We always say, if you can interrupt the planning cycle, you can prevent the incident. So by getting that information because of a trusted relationship early, you know, those interventions happen in the home. It's when Jess or her partners can go to the house, speak to the child, find out what their mental state is, find out what their complaint is, find out what their plan is. More importantly, find out if they actually have access to the means of doing this, right? Because during that process, we can use other tools like uh, emergency uh, protection orders or extreme risk protection orders or suitability things for licensing. And we can actually remove the tools ahead of time. And all of our SROs historically have helped us do that. Yeah, it's it's a great tool. Um, I wish that I could say that I didn't have to do it very often, but these days I feel like almost daily I'm going to a house and doing an interview, um, doing a check of the room to try to ensure the safety. And, and some of it is, you know, a very minor threat can be interpreted different ways, but um, my policy personal policy is I handle every situation the exact same way, regardless of the level of the threat, so that nothing is missed. And we can never look back and say, oh, that one time I didn't go to the house, or one time I didn't talk to the kid or the parents, or, you know, look into the family and see what access that they have. Um, And I know that some people get frustrated, you know, they don't think that whatever happened or whatever was said was a a big deal. Um, And I just try to explain to them that I treat every situation the exact same way. I check all the boxes. um, And that's how we prevent things like this in our community. We can't prevent it all, but this is being routine in how we um, investigate these things is the best that we can do. Right, because it's it's about risk assessment and threat assessment. Right? Secret Service put together an unbelievable re- list of recommendations on how to deal with school and workplace violence. And what you're describing is that best practice. It's you know target hardening is important. We work with the district all the time on target hardening. Education is important. Drills are important. But risk assessment and getting removing means and providing resources to prevent acts of violence is much more effective than responding to acts of violence. Um, I, we haven't spoken about this in, in a long time, and I'm just curious. When you do these visits, when you go to do these interviews and you do the, um, the home, in, they're not inspections, right? they're checks, you know, to see if they have access to means, what degree of cooperation do you normally get from the families? Um, I would say 99%. I think people, um, and it, it was actually surprising to me, especially um, with some families that we deal with in the community, um, with the with the parents, or you know, we have a history with the family. Um, but I think people take these threats uh, pretty seriously. They understand that they're serious threats, and I've had a very high level of cooperation, um, particularly from people that I didn't think were going to cooperate with me. And I didn't prep you for that question, and I didn't know what the answer was going to be, mm-hmm. but I had a suspicion because let's be honest. No one, regardless of, you may have long history with law enforcement, you may dislike law enforcement, but nobody wants their loved one to be associated with one of these acts, right? After the fact, you always hear, oh, if we had only known, we would have. We're giving people tools to do those things so that they do know. Because again, it's about prevention, it's about threat assessment, it's about risk management. All right, I think we've beat that topic up. (laughs) So... How's your week been transitioning back into the schools? Um, it's been a busy week. It's been a little hectic. Um, but we're ironing some things out, and hopefully we can get some, some more, at least another officer soon. Um, patrol has had to respond to a, a couple of things because I've been tied up. So it's a busy, I think, the beginning of the school year. You're coming off summer, you know, maybe... It's the first time you're seeing people in a while and that there's your chance to talk there's, about whatever. There's unresolved issues, issues that were slinging you had. from the spring. Yes, yes. So, but we're working it out. We're getting through. Wednesday night when we were doing the uh, community, or the Citizens Academy, the City Hall Citizens Academy, one of our speakers was Sergeant Madalena. And we, he and I didn't talk about this with the residents Wednesday, but, it, you know, 
I said that our operational pace changes when we transition to and from school, and it's not just the school population. It's not just the students and the teachers and the administration and, and the staff and the schools. But there's so, like, I was sitting on my couch having my coffee earlier this week because I, you know, I was out of isolation and, well, I was off of my isolation protocols but still, you know, finishing my, five, my second five days of isolation, but I could leave. And so I was, you know, on my normal schedule and I heard a school bus on my street for the first time since spring. And uh, just think about it for a second. Like, you know, just when school bus operations start, that changes our traffic response. Um, the pedestrians, walkers, right? There's a post that I saw on social media the other day, and people are complaining about the distance that students may be required to walk depending on the, the their their um, relative relationship to the, the school that they're assigned to. And all of that, you know, for three months out of the year, you don't deal with flashing signs on school buses. You don't deal with pedestrians crossing at the corners at that time of day. And so the pace of life in the city changes when the students go back to school. Um, and that affects us. You know, I know it affects us with uh, traffic stuff. As you said, patrol. I was listening to the radio yesterday and the day before. We've had a couple students um, abscond. They just didn't want to be there, so they decided to leave in the middle of the day, and patrol got that. We've had a couple fights uh, on school campuses. Um, it's just, you know, th these are things that we didn't deal with for three months. Right. Uh, to that point, it, it's been more than usual in the beginning of the year. Usually it takes a little while for, you know, the fights to set in, and um, I don't know if I contribute that to COVID, and this is like the first real time that, you know, kids are coming into school unmasked and distance isn't, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what what happened, but that there has definitely been an uptick in uh, fights in the schools. I mean, we've only been in, what, four or five days. days. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, I've, I've been working full days, but in a lot of meetings playing catch up, so I only have the radio up part of the day. I know we've had at least two on campus outside of school have we had fights in the school buildings already yes. this year okay. yep yeah and not all of them get reported to me so i can't give you a number um i usually based on the four schools they usually only call me if it's something um significant, significant. Yeah. um but yeah there's uh, at least five that i know of and we've been in school for that is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot comparatively. Yeah. Oh, yes. 100%. So I hope it's not indicative of what's to come for the school year. But Besides getting you a partner assigned so you have some assistance, what are you looking forward to the most this school year? Uh, I'm just looking forward to getting back uh, to building relationships with kids um, and getting to know particularly in the high school, um, my freshmen, I haven't been able to, you know, typically I walk into Pittsfield High and I know almost every kid. If I don't know their name, I at least know their face. I, um, so being in four schools, it, it hasn't been that way. So maybe getting back to my sense of normal um, and being able to work with these kids. And I get a lot of a lot of crap from kids when I walk into Pittsfield, even at the, the football game last night. So I went to the Taconic football game, um, and the football players asked me if I was going to be at their game tonight. And I said, unfortunately, I have to do something with my son tomorrow night. Um, and so they called me a traitor, and, you know, it, w it was all in good fun. But I really do miss those kids, and I miss um, the relationships. And it was nice to hear that they feel it, too. They feel... You know, they want me back. Um, so that's an. I was gonna go in a different direction, but that's an important consideration because you know we described you described your role, and I described kind of how I describe your your responsibility or your scope of responsibility. But it's also not obviously it's school during school hours and to and from you know commute times. But it's also special events, right? As, mm -hmm. as an SRO, you're primarily responsible for covering sporting events for your schools and you know when we had a full SRO unit it, it was I'm not going to say easy but it was 
at least simple, right? The SRO for the school was primarily responsible for that school's games. And then you would backfill for each other. And if you couldn't fill it, then we would bring patrol in to, to fill from there. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's the, the middle schools don't have sporting events. So that's, that's complicated, but not as complicated. But, um, you know, three seasons... All the sports, right? I mean, obviously the big one is football because that attracts a lot, but you cover the basketball games, uh, spring seasons, track and stuff like that. Um, it's And one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years, we, we haven't done it yet, but we're trying to figure it out, is we're actually getting, um, I'm not going to say requests because it hasn't been phrased that politely, getting inquiries about whether we'll send personnel on travel trips when our teams play out of town. Like, you know, they've got police departments. Let them do it, right? <laughs> but every police department is dealing with the same stuff. You can't fill the details. So um, it's covering the special event. I mean, it's prom and graduation and, and all of those things are within your area of responsibility. Yes, it's a lot. Um, I think of it as a 24-hour-a-day job because I'm in the school and then I'm at a sporting event and then I'm answering calls from administrators, I'm answering calls from patrol when they respond to something that happened out after school hours, but they're my kids, uh, so they want my input or they just want to let me know or they want to talk about it or see what I can do to help. Um, so it really has become, ask my son, a 24-hour-a-day day job, so... It's a commitment. There's no question. You know, we've talked about this in the past, um, and it's it expands well beyond your school age population because oftentimes patrol or investigations will be working something that has no direct nexus to the school population, but a witness may be one of your family members or um, a victim's family member may have been one of your. Students or is one of your students and they're reluctant and so you you have influence in a relationship that those patrol officers or detectives or investigators don't have and they're gonna they're gonna look to you they're gonna leverage that and those investigations are occurring in real time and so they need your input now um, you know it's one thing to leave you an email and say Jess on Friday night we were out with these three individuals and we know that they attend one of your schools blah 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 just as a heads up, it's another thing to be trying to get some information about a crime that just occurred and need to convince a reluctant witness that they can trust us, that you know, you're know you going to vouch for those officers. So, yeah, I can imagine that that gets to be pretty burdensome <laughs> time-wise. Yes, yes, for sure. But. All right, we've got a couple minutes left here. Um, I'm going to introduce this topic we probably won't finish it in the next three minutes before our station break uh, we'll come back on the tail end of the station break and continue it so we we led the intro talking about recent changes um to the school resource officer position and, and job description and title in the commonwealth and particularly in the commonwealth but this has happened all across the country uh and so my involvement in school resource officer programming only only corresponds to my time as the chief. I had no involvement in it um, prior to going upstairs. And, and I certainly never worked in the school. It's, I used to tell Chief Riello, it's the one job in the department I would not do. If, if they ordered me to do it, I would quit. <laughs> um, I just, I can't, I, I'm, not, I'm not built that way. I, I wouldn't fit in that environment. I didn't do well as a substitute teacher. Um, so... I think the first thing is to recognize that even before these changes started, Pittsfield, because we've had a school resource officer program for so long, we recognize the value of identifying it as a specialty and training our school resource officers as specialists. And so the, the overarching organization, it's, a, it's not a government organization, it's not an oversight organization, it's a, it's a professional association, is the National Association of School Resource Officers. And for years, NASRO has had a certification process, a, a, a basic and an advanced school resource officer training program, um, which for as long as I'm aware of, we've required our school resource officers to attend. If not before they got placed in the schools, within their first you know, 
short period of time after starting schools because it is a specialization. So um, we're going to break for station identification, and when we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about the NASRO training, and then we'll go from there, okay? Sounds good. All right, so it's 929 on Friday, September 9th, 2022. It's a little bit before our scheduled break, but let's go get another check of the weather and some PSAs, and then we'll come back and continue with Jess. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, September 9th. Greetings! Today, mostly sunny, a high of 80 with some fog. Tonight, clear with a low of 53. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high of 82. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Mantiques, a 7,000-square-foot shop featuring collectibles, antique signs, and much more for your garage, bar, man cave, or she shed. Open Thursday through Monday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. and located on Route 7 in Lanesboro. And from Greylock Grounds drive through and Cafe, featuring different varieties of local coffee and tea from Six Depot Roastery Cafe. Greylock Grounds K-Cups are locally brewed and the only biodegradable compostable K-Cups using a local roaster. Visit their drive through location on Route 7 in Lanesboro, serving coffee, paninis, ice cream, and more. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, Visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Pittsville residents, have you heard about Code Red? It's the city's emergency alert program, and it keeps you informed on the latest updates and notifications, including but not limited to weather-related emergencies, road closures, and water main breaks. So stay connected and be informed. Text Pittsville to 99411 to enroll or visit cityofpittsfield.org to sign up. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Good morning. Welcome back to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and as I often forget to mention, also available on all of your popular podcast platforms. If you're just joining us, today is Friday, September 9th, 2022. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the co-host of this allegedly weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Matt Hill, sound engineer extraordinaire. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. You spent a lot of time in the schools, Lieutenant. I would have expected you to be a little more involved in this conversation. (laughs) That was a long time ago. (laughs) But our primary guest in studio this morning is Officer Jess Godfroy, the department's uh, at this time only fully full-time assigned school resource officer as our program continues to transition. And before the break, we were talking about school resource officer training. Uh, so I had mentioned that the National Association of School Resource Officers, NASRO, is kind of the, the baseline certifying agency for school resource officers. So Jess, talk a little bit about the NASRO programming. Sure. So the NASRO program uh, is a five-day training. Um, I did mine out in Pennsylvania. Um, so it's a pretty uh, comprehensive training. We talk about it's interesting. It, there's things that I didn't um, anticipate learning about in the program, but so we learned everything from uh, strategically how to talk to kids, um, different 
things to think about, and that's what separates an SRO from a patrol officer. So a school resource officer from a patrol officer. The main difference is how you talk to people, how your brain works. You have to adapt to how these kids are thinking, feeling, at the adolescent mind is not fully developed. And I tell myself that probably a thousand times a day when I'm trying to remain calm um, with these kids who are kind of all, all over the place. So and my son hears my, me say it, mumbling it around the house when he's doing things too. So that's the main takeaway from the NASRA pro program. The adolescent mind is not fully developed. Um, but so we learn how to how to talk to kids, how their brains work, um, what we can do to try to be understanding and, you know, still build a relationship with them, even though, um, you know, their their emotions are kind of all, all over the place. Um, we learned how to teach kids. Um, we actually had to teach a class. Um, I taught the class how to fold plastic bags into little footballs. Uh. <laughs> I have to interrupt you for a second here because that, that sounds funny when you say it or our viewers or listeners. Mm -hmm. But it, I, as, a, as an instructor, as, as a professional educator, you know, I've gone through a lot of instructor development training over the course of my career and actually before I joined the department. Um, and... It sounds trite to say something like that, but I when I'm talking to people who want to become instructors, I say, look, when I went to instructor development for the Commonwealth for the first time, uh, one of the first demonstrations was how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Except the problem was the student who was making the peanut butter and uh, jelly sandwich was forced to face away from the rest of the room and the instructor was behind them. So they could only do it based on verbal prompts. And it was a disaster. Right when you under, when you don't understand how detailed you have to break instructions down and how specific you have to be, and that this is for adult learners, and it's even more minutia for adolescent learners. Um, a simple skill like making footballs into a paper, out of plastic bags that would take detailed instructions for someone who's never done it before. So it seems simple, but it's complicated. Instructor development is important. It is. It is. Um... You know, it, initially it was funny to me that they were asking us to do this, but when you went back to your hotel at night and you really had to break this down, it actually took a lot of planning and thought process um, to be able to teach it. But it's, it's a great tool, and um, I went through the initial instructor's course um, as well, um, and they did use that same, same instruction as an example. Um, but it was fun and, and it, it makes you think. And that's really what it was about is getting your brain to transition to how specific and direct you have to be with the adolescent mind. So I want to talk about the adolescent mind and adolescent development briefly because I think this is fascinating. I think it's important for our viewers and our listeners and other residents to know. Um, as a non-parent, you know, somebody who's spent a little bit of time peripherally working in and around schools, I get this, but if you just step back for a second, you look at it from a lay person's point of view. We know that adolescent, youth adolescents, <coughs> teenagers, uh, they're, they're just wired different. They think different. And I don't, it doesn't matter, right? You, even before we had a, the phrase adolescent development, you would just hear things like uh, lack of attention span, low impulse control, uh, no understanding of consequences, no future planning. These are trite catchphrases that we apply to people of a certain age. But when you, you step back from that and you look at the psychology, it's common across the entire age span, and it's because of the way they're neurologically developing. It's, it's not a mistake. It's not an individual character trait. It's a characteristic of the adolescent brain. Uh, and so I can say, you know, I've been a cop for 27 years. I think the first time I ever received any law enforcement specific training on adolescent development was five years ago. We sure as heck didn't get it in the police academy. Um, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of like school safety stuff as a patrol officer and a sergeant, as a lieutenant. Nobody 
ever looked at me and said, hey, when you're working with this population, they think differently, right? So you, you kind of like just rolled over it, but that's the, that's the crux of the importance of having specialists assigned to this population. Now, all of our officers get adolescent development as part of their basic academy training and in service now, but that's a recent change, um, and it's an ongoing change. Is is currently as last year when, in my role as a post commissioner, we wrote the new guidance for de-escalation when dealing with adolescents. Right, it was the first written document that applied to cops across the Commonwealth in the history of the Commonwealth. Yeah, um, I have this conversation with patrol officers all the time because although we do have a lot of new officers, some of our more veteran. Won't call them old. Um, officers really don't understand the concept of the adolescent brain, and so when they come, they they always say to me, "I don't know how you do this." You know, kids are insert whatever word <laughs> you would like, um, and usually I try to take the time to explain. You know, it's not that they're trying to be defiant sometimes you know kids it's a cognitive issue it's the the breakdown in the frontal lobe it's family circumstances it can you know, be trauma it's a hundred percent trauma and one of the benefits that I have is that I learn the history of these kids and I learn to know how they're going to react and then I try to find different ways to be able to communicate with them, whether it's moving them to a different setting, whether it's getting them a drink or a snack or talking about something else before talking about what I really want to talk about um, that's of interest to them. But at a patrol level, you go on the call and you want to be in and out, so you just deal with it how you're going to deal with it. My role gives me the benefit to be able to get to know the kid and really understand what is happening um, in their life aside from just the adolescent brain not being so, fully developed. So right before the, in my last class before I took summer break in my academic work, the course I was taking in the psychology program was lifespan development. And it, I hated the class, right? It, from the beginning of it, you know, I'm talking about like, prenatal development through death and dying it was it was just depressing but at one point in in the adolescent you know early first third of the class doing the adolescent brain i was doing a research assignment and i went back to some source material and it, i'm sitting you know, again i've been doing this for a long time but it kind of jumped off the page of me so i'm talking about you know in this case adolescent males um low impulse control a propensity for risk-taking a increased likelihood to experiment with substance abuse and kind of this belief that they're going to live forever. All of those things are happening based on hormonal changes in the brain all at the same time. That is like the holy, you think about that, you read it on the page and you're like, God, it's wonder any of us make it to adulthood. Right, all of, and then you know, don't even throw in like the reproductive hormones and stuff that will prompt behaviors based on those those underlying changes. But that's all hardwired in the chemistry, and then you have seven hundred and fifty of them in each building <laughs> that you have yeah. to deal with all at the same yeah. time. And they're all different. One of the other things um, that I didn't, it took me a while to understand, is you know the mental health aspects, um, specifically anxiety. So we have a slew of kids that, you know, walk out of class and they're in the bathrooms or they leave the building and you say to yourself, why can't you just do this? Um, but the effects that anxiety has on these kids is so profound that sometimes they physically just can't. And that's hard for somebody that doesn't have anxiety, anxiety. to understand. Um, but... I have many people close to me that have I've gotten very close with some kids that it has affected them. They're now adults, but it still affects them in their adult life. You know, they were great basketball player, but could not step on a court in front of, if there was no spectators, sure, they could play all day long, yep. but add spectators into the mix and they physically cannot do it. Um, so understanding those, and it's frustrating, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, but being able to understand 
and work through that and let them know that you understand and you know give them tools give them the fidget toys distract their minds um you know giving them time it's it's a benefit that i have that patrol doesn't does not have all right so we kind of talked about the the nazaro program and we started off talking about changes across the commonwealth so let's pivot from there a little bit and we'll we'll kind of stair step through the the last five years so I think one of the first things is there was a recognition this and this goes back even to the attorney general before the attorney general's re- recommendations there was a recognition that because nasro is a private entity it's a it's a professional association that although it was recognized as a national standard it it wasn't necessarily validated uh, the Commonwealth hadn't signed off on it so in probably one of the smartest moves I've ever seen happen in the training committee, instead of sending somebody to the NASRO school and getting all the materials and bringing it back and then restamping it and rewriting it and respinning it and putting out a separate track, uh, they basically said, we're going to accept the NASRO program, right? We're going we're gonna to send in instructor trainers to NASRO and our instructor trainers will be NASRO instructors or you can go to NASRO and if you go to NASRO somewhere else, we'll accept it from somewhere else, which that was a huge benefit because it didn't mean that we were beholden to the MPTC for their schedule. If we were willing to pay for the travel, then we could send people on our schedule or if we didn't want to pay for the training, we could wait until they scheduled something. And so the... The national standard of training also became the standard of training for the MPTC. And then the MPTC said, and we can offer more training. We, we can do other specialty training on top of this. But the basic certification will be NASRO basic. And then there's a whole bunch of other one-day or two-day trainings that become available on particular aspects of adolescent development or psychology or anxiety or whatever. Um, de-escalation. And so that was probably the first big commonwealth change was standardizing the training for all of the sros and a position from the mptc basically saying if you haven't completed an mptc accepted school resource officer training you are not in fact a school resource officer right you you can't use that title you can be a cop that works in a school but you're not a resource officer you have to have that basic element of training so that was kind of done uh, i don't know that it was deliberate it, it was it was more kind of just trend following the trend and seeing what was happening. And then five or six years ago, the attorney general's office made a recommendation that didn't carry any consequences or any weight. It was literally a recommendation. The recommendation was that all departments or municipalities that had a school resource officer program enter into a formal memorandum of understanding between the police department and the school district or this, you know, whatever your, your, school system is called Uh, and they wrote a sample memorandum of understanding and said this is what it should look like now Pittsfield has had an MOU with the Pittsfield Public School District since long before that Uh, we had one before I became the chief but ours was fairly straightforward it was fairly simple and it explained kind of the goals of the program and responsibilities for this department and responsibilities for the district but it didn't get into details of things like standard operating procedures or uniforms or attire or the selection process right up until a couple years ago we the department owned the selection process we don't anymore it's a joint process with the district uh so the ag's office wrote that recommendation they wrote that policy we implemented some of the things that were in the mou um but in full disclosure the department never signed the MOU with the district. Um, we, and, you know, we, just, we, couldn't get, we couldn't get them to sit down and discuss it with us and finalize it. So we had it. We were kind of operating under it, but it wasn't signed. And that was kind of the status quo until nearly two years ago. And now, so the police reform was signed at the end of 2020. And we worked through 2021 to implement it. And in the police reform law, the recommendations, what had been the recommendations, not, not the exact same language, but basically that belief, became law. It is like, you must have an MOU to continue the SRO program. It has to adhere to the recommendations that previously existed in the AG's sample. It has to be signed by the department and the district. And it must include certain things, which included standard operating procedures, 
appeal process and the fact that an SRO who's going to be placed subsequent to this change had to be selected by the department, interviewed by somebody from the superintendent's office or their designee, and conduct a meeting with representatives of the school they were going to be placed in to include family and students. Uh, And so it got much more complicated to place an SRO. Well, we did it. And so um, locally, this is when things kind of came to a full boil and came to a head because we, I had to call the superintendent and say, I'm pulling the SROs out of the school. If you don't sign this MOU, I can't leave them there anymore. It's not legal. And they came back and said, we're not signing it until the school committee signs off on it. I was like, well, these two things are in opposition. So we, we found a compromise. We made it work. Um, and we've actually selected two SROs through the, the process since then. Um, neither of them are currently in the SRO program, but we went through the process. We know what, how it works. Um, but it got really detailed on the fact that, one, they must have a basic level of certification. Two, they must have the appropriate personality and mindset to work in that. Three, the district has to be on board. It can't just be a unilateral decision by the department. And four, there has to be some stakeholder approval of this as well. So, you know, when people say, oh, just, I want an SRO or, you know, you can put anybody in there, not in the Commonwealth anymore. Absolutely not. Um, so and then the kind of the fifth change that you and I were discussing yesterday is also included in police reform is a requirement that a school resource officer in the Commonwealth now must have a second separate certification issued by the post commission to continue to serve as an SRO. So as a commissioner, I've spent most of the last year, year plus, working on the process of certifying, in the language of the police reform law, certifying police officers or recertifying police officers. But school resource officers, in addition to that basic general certification that every police officer must now have, have to have a second certification that the post commission has checked that they've had a basic level of training, that they've gone through some type of specialized training, that they've gone through this additional background process, that they've been vetted by the district and the stakeholders, and that they're acceptable um, based on their previous experience and, and, and their personality. So that was, I sent that to you after the post commission meeting yesterday because we, the post commission went through the certification process for SROs for the first time yesterday morning in our public meeting. And so those regulations or guidelines will be promulgated probably in the next three months. Um, and then you'll, you and your colleagues will have to go through that process as well. So if you think that we're just randomly taking police officers off the road and saying, you know what, you're a nice person, go work with the kids in the school, that is not the case. No, and, and it really shouldn't be. I say this all the time that I would rather do this job by myself than have the wrong person in a school um, working with kids because what happens if you have somebody that doesn't want to be there or isn't there for the right reasons it kind of ruins everything you know we've been building in this program um, you know I've been in the program for eight years now um, and everything that I worked for can be ruined by the wrong person coming into the schools and so I've been really passionate um, about being vocal on that. Um, so if somebody wants to do the job, we 100% want them to be doing it for the right reasons and have the right temperament and you know, be able to eat all the crap and work through this stuff with the kids um, and not the, on a patrol level response. For, for our viewers and listeners who don't understand this, the, the Pittsfield Police Department has a lot invested in this. We've had some type of school resource officer presence and practice since 1989. I graduated from Taconic in 1988. I now know in hindsight that there was a law enforcement presence in the school while I was there, but it was not an overt presence. But the year after I graduated, they assigned Mark Bushy to Taconic High School. And we've had some type of presence in our secondary schools ever since. We don't want to lose it. Right. We're invested in it and we're going to do what we have to do to make it work. Jess, anything else you want to say about the school resource officer program before we pivot very briefly for our last couple of minutes together? 
Um, I don't think so. I think it's a great program. Um, I hope that the community stands behind it. I hope that people really understand what we do. Um, and if anybody were to have any questions, I'm happy to sit down and talk about it, um, answer any concerns. Um, this program is important to me. These kids are important to me. And I just hope that we continue to move forward um, with a quality program. So, as I said during your introduction, in addition to being our sole surviving school resource officer at this point in time, you're also our lead explorer advisor. And I had some questions on Wednesday night, had some questions at my last coffee with a cop down at Durant Park. People still to this day, they don't understand it. You know, so our, yes, we have an explorer post. We, we brought back the explorer post largely at your urging um, several years ago now. COVID interrupted that a little bit. Um, I think we brought it back in, I want to say 2015. Yeah. But so our Explorer Post is our career exploration program for adolescents, 14 to 21, who are curious about or want to explore, hence the name, a career in law enforcement. Not necessarily just in policing, right? They can learn about a whole bunch of different law enforcement and public safety stuff. Um, but they get to work with us and train with us and study with us. And, uh, we get to meet some amazing young women and men who might join our ranks at some point in the future. So let's talk, tell us a little bit about the Explorer program. That is the goal. So um, we brought the program back and like I said, I believe it was 2015. Um, we had our first recruitment event. We had a really solid group. I think we started with 17 to 20 kids. Um, that over the following years, um, we retained most of those kids and it became a really solid program. So we would have our weekly meetings um, every Wednesday. They were an hour to two hours, depending on whatever the topic was. Um, we do everything from physical fitness um, as if it were an academy standard. So when you enter the academy, there's different standards. Um, it's a mile run or a mile and a half run, uh, push-ups, sit-ups. We encourage, you don't, have to meet all the standards but we encourage physical fitness in our program because obviously it's it's a pretty big part of uh, being a police officer um so we encourage that we do we've had you know we go to the courts we've had attorneys come in we've had the district attorney come in um We've been up to the jail. We do traffic stuff. We do motor vehicle stops. We do felony stops. We do handcuffing. We do um, crime searches, scenes. crime scenes. Uh, we learn about different laws. Um, but we, in addition to that, we try to make it fun. So my goal is always to have, you know, a classroom portion and a practical portion. Because if you just sit and talk to kids, talk at them and try to make them learn stuff, it really doesn't work that way. So we really try hard to keep them moving and hands-on and, and let them do um, fun things. So this time in particular, at, after COVID, I lost a lot of my core explorers. One, because they just aged out and not being able to have meetings for so long. Um, so I think I have three left from our, you know, core group. Um, we did a recruitment event last spring. We, I think we have about six new explorers that are coming pretty religiously. Um, but I haven't started. I was waiting until we're going to do some recruitment at the high schools now that school's back in session. Um, but this is a great time to start because we're going to kind of be because everyone is so pretty much new, we're going to be starting at square one and really working through um, the program. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm hoping that we can get some more kids that are interested in law enforcement. So for viewers or listeners, if you have people in your life, 14 to 21, who might be interested in learning more about law enforcement, they can get in touch with Officer Godfrey, and she can put them in touch with the other Explorer advisors. And I just have to say, in addition to the meetings and the trainings, which are the core of the program and are important, they also serve as a force multiplier for us. They participate in community engagement activities. They're often with us at special events. Uh, they get to go to the academy and serve yeah, as role, role players. players. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool experience if, if you're a kid that has an interest. And we have kids that even outside of Pittsfield um, <clears throat> that are interested in the program. Their town doesn't offer one, and we welcome them with open arms. Absolutely. So. 
And we've had, you know, like you said, we kind of lost some momentum because of COVID, but we've had great success. You know, we've got at the his enlistment is probably still he's probably still in right we had at least one that we brought in in that first recruitment that we had basically until he enrolled in college and then he went in the army um you know so yeah we we wanted him to be a cop but now he's a soldier (laughs) (laughs) yeah we have some these kids are doing some great things uh we have an emt we have i don't pick favorites but one of my favorite explorers um she works out in boston um as like a crime analyst for a money laundering nice. firm. We have um, to cut you off, Jess. We're out of time. Right. We ran this out. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of On Patrol with the PPD. Tune in next week where one of us will be here and the other two will be on the mats uh, expanding the jiu-jitsu program. Until then, be well, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8. <laughs>